Everyone loves a good lost and found story, don't they? Uh, we've upgraded the uh, kitchen in the parish hall, uh, and so anybody who uses it now can play their own little game of lost and found as they try and find where everything is. Where's the tea? Where's the, where are the bickies? Uh, and when you find that which is lost, well, that's a hallelujah moment, isn't it? It's good news. Uh, today, I've just read out for you uh, two lost and found parables. And just like many of the other parables we've looked at, this is yet another story where Jesus sticks it to the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day. As Jesus sits with outsiders and sinners, verse 1, he is criticised by the religious elite in verse 2. They mutter, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. These sinners, remember, are beyond the pale. Their behaviour is unacceptable and so they're deemed to be unwelcome and unacceptable to God. And of course, the implication is that the Pharisees believe themselves not to be sinners, but instead welcome and acceptable to God. They're so sure of themselves. They're the type who pray, Dear Lord, thank God I'm not like them. But it's not just their deluded self-righteousness that we see here. It's their thinking about God as well. See, for them, if God is holy and pure and righteous, and if Jesus is all that he claims to be, a holy man sent from God as a messenger of God, then how on earth can he be spending time with these unbearable sinners? To them, it's inconsistent. It doesn't make sense. It's a contradiction. But Jesus undercuts all of that. He gives them three parables, actually, but we're looking at two today. The parable of the lost sheep is familiar enough. We know how it goes. A man has a hundred. He loses one. So what does he do? Well, he, he does what shepherds in Palestine do, I think. He goes and looks for the one. Of course he does. Sheep, well, we live in northwest New South Wales. We know sheep are stupid. Uh, they get lost easily. They wander off endlessly. They're here they're potentially exposed to wild animals, subject to fears and terrors. Uh, they're unable to find their way back on their own. They're separated from the mob. And now they are beyond the care of the shepherd. And we know when Jesus talks about sheep, we know he's talking about people. The book of Isaiah says that we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We've wandered from God. We've wandered from the flock, the family, now seemingly lost and also lost to themselves. But the beauty of this story is that God will not lose even one. Do we see that God cares, that he seeks that he searches and with tenderness and compassion he carries that which was lost back to the fold. Now, there's this beautiful picture in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. It says he tends 
his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. Isn't that beautiful? Luke chapter 19 verse 10 will later say, God sends his son to seek and save that which is lost. And so here is a picture of the shepherd that carries us where? On his shoulders. A Christian is someone that's carried on the shoulders of Jesus, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, as John's Gospel would say. Which means that those Jesus carries on his shoulders can never perish. Does Jesus carry you through the COVID crisis? Does he carry you through your loneliness and isolation? Did he carry you through the drought? Or through illness? Or singleness? Or marriage? Or family dramas? Or work problems? Or your lack of church? Has Jesus carried you through that? And the answer, of course, is yes. Of course he has. And yes, of course he does. Notice this burden the shepherd carries. Notice he joyfully carries it. That's what verse 5 says. He's so pleased. He returns home. He calls up his mates. He says, rejoice. I have found my lost sheep. Hooray. Put the spit on. No, it doesn't say that. That's not the point. You might put the spit on. That's not the point. The point is we are to see this. The very heart of God is to seek and save the lost. That's the point. This is a big deal to God. And see that heaven rejoices. How about the woman with ten coins? We all know about finding coins under the fridge or behind the lounge, don't we? Don't we? Here is another picture of the lost. Some people think the woman is uh, young and unmarried and 10 silver coins amounts to her dowry. It represents her availability for marriage. So to lose one silver coin puts her future prospects at stake. And see how intentional she is. Verse 8. Woman has 10 silver coins, loses one, doesn't she? Light a candle, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. Shepherd is happy. Woman is happy. When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours and together she says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. Shepherd is happy. Woman is happy. Heaven rejoices. God smiles, if you like, because this is a big deal to God. See Jesus now contrast the frowns and indignation and sneers of the Pharisees with the joy of God and the joy of heaven as the lost is found. Can you see that? We need to see that in the text. This contrast of emotions, this contrast of different responses to the outsider. The Pharisees condemn those beyond the pale, the outside of the sinner. But Jesus, he wants to bring them in, into the fold, part of his mob, among the counted. The Pharisees are going to frown and they're going to say, get lost, stay away. 
But Jesus' arms are open and welcoming and he says, come to me. Come to me. And heaven smiles. And heaven smiles. See, why is this such a big deal? We're to see it is a big deal, but why? It is because the kingdom of God is meant for people who recognise their need for forgiveness. They recognise their lostness. They recognise their need for deliverance, that they need to be rescued and saved. And Jesus points the way. These beautiful stories picture God's heart for sinners, those who are lost. It's a, it pictures God's initiative, his activity, his intimate care. That he has not abandoned anybody who is his. No, instead he wants people to drawn to him. He wants people to be drawn to him, part of his mind. And this is what God is like. And we know at the cross, this is what Jesus is like. And we know that this is what his people are to be like. We're to point people to God's rescuing love for us in Jesus, because we're all lost. Without Jesus, we are all lost. And so we are to point people to Jesus. That others too might come to Jesus in faith, and repentance. Did you see that in the story? You go to see what? Did you say the R word? Yeah, I said the R word, repentance. Did you see Jesus talk about repentance? He does it twice. It's there in verse 7 and it's there again in verse 10. He pretty much says, I tell you, there's rejoicing in heaven in the presence of the angels over the one sinner who repents. It's curious, isn't it? See, have a think. How, how does a lamb repent? Or how does a coin repent? How does a lamb find its way back and return? When does that ever happen? Or a coin for that matter? They can't. They're completely dependent on the initiative of the other. One's an inanimate object for crying out loud. The other's a lamb. What hope? Have they got? None. That's the point. And do we then see that our repentance, our turning to God, is all of his grace and mercy, that we are completely dependent on the Lord for his intervention in every respect of our life, including this work of repentance? So you have to think very carefully about this question. Do you enjoy the reputation of being a good Christian person. Of course you do. Even a good, godly Christian person, a local Christian in your community, in your town, who is known and even popular and even revered, maybe. You're kicking spiritual goals. Uh, you offer great acts of service and everybody knows you. And you're known as somebody who's got it all together. Uh, your whole life is one of uh, this gradual and continual turning to Christ Jesus and giving your life over to him. Question, 
If that's you, or a little bit you, who gets the credit for any of that? Does your pride shout out, yeah, go you, go you good thing? Do you take delight in having it all together and, oh, I've grown so much and, you know, I've got life sorted now and I'm glad my life wasn't like it was before and life is good and you, well, you pat yourself on the back, don't you? And well done, you. And do you see how easily that can lead to smugness and pride and even self-righteousness? Or maybe in your humility you recognise it's all of God. Maybe you cry out in your humility, oh, but for the grace of God, he does that work in me. Do we remember that repentance, our, our Christian maturity, is a gift of God? Our changed life is God's work of grace in us. That by his Holy Spirit, God shapes us and grows us to be like his son Jesus. Growing in Christ. It's the mission of our church here in Inverell, to grow in Christ. And to grow in Christ is, is the repentant life. And as we do that, God is glorified and heaven rejoices. See, from a pastor's perspective, when our mob grow in Christ, that's always a time to be praising God. Always. We see people's humble disposition before God. We watch them happy as the Lord Jesus carries them on his shoulders and we give thanks to God. As they give things to God, as they trust God and obey God, and follow him in faith and turn to him in repentance. The heartbreak, of course, is when people refuse to be carried. They walk off and say, no, nah, I'm going to do this by myself. Don't want to know. I don't need to be found. And if you think that sounds like stubborn pride, it's because it is. It's always a tragedy when people refuse the shepherd. Maybe we prefer the path of modern psychology. This bears thinking about. Modern psychology seems to be all about rebuilding the ego. And the way to rebuild the ego is to eliminate the negative and emphasise the positive, build people up again. And Christianity has bought into this thinking wholesale. And it's not for the better. So it goes like this. As long as you're happy, right? Or... Do what's good for you. You do you and you do what's good for you. As long as you're happy. Or you're a good person. You're a great person. And we become so busy keeping things positive and trying to affirm people that we end up affirming all sorts of, not just the people, but all sorts of godless choices that people make. All in the name of positivity. Lest we offend. And it becomes a license for just about anything. And I want to say to you that that's a study in human lostness. What a tragedy it is when people depart from the course of repentance and faith in the Lord, our shepherd. What a tragedy it is when believers enable or accommodate such a course. It's unthinkable. 
but we do it. Friends, this passage is not about being a cheerleader for the unrepentant. God accepts us as we are, yes, lost, absolutely. But he loves us too much to leave us as we are. Do we know that? Do we see that to be found is to be brought to a place of repentance, a place where we realise we need to change and, and be turned? And repentance is a forever changed life in Christ. That's the thing of rejoicing. It is to be brought low, to recognise our lostness and to remember our complete dependence on our Lord. It's to say, I am wrong, Lord, and you are right. It's to be humbled in the presence of the Lord, to be contrite, to be desperate for forgiveness to recognise that the trajectory of my life is potentially hell-bound, that I cannot save myself, is to say I'm a great sinner, but I have an even greater saviour. It is an exercise in contrition. And who is it that will lift us up? Who is it that will lift us up? Who is it that will lift us up and carry us on his shoulders today and every other day? And the answer is our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd. Friends, do we see that we need the shepherd? We must have the shepherd. And my loved ones and my family and my friends, they need the shepherd too. They must have the shepherd. For without him, we are completely lost such that we can all say, because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. One commentator says we need to grow downward in humility of self and upwards in adoration of God. In our prayer book, it does it really well. There's a time for confession and humility, isn't there? A time to be contrite. As we absorb the wonders of the gospel, though, as we work through our prayer book, our hope should rise and rise and rise. See, sometimes being an Anglican isn't so bad. Do we see in this passage that God derives more pleasure from the penitent, broken heart of the one than over the 99 who figured they don't need it? We need it, don't we? We know our goal is to grow in Christ. That's our vision here at St Augustine's. And so with God's help, let us continue to point people to Jesus, the great shepherd. And let us encourage one another to be growing in Christ, being sure heaven rejoices over us and that God smiles and that he is glorified. Because that's what it's all about. Amen.